The Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah, the 17th chapter. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their prophets, so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. God has spoken by his prophets spoken his unchanging word, each from age to age proclaiming God the one, the righteous Lord. In the world's despair and turmoil, one firm anchor holds us fast. God is king, his throne eternal, God the first and God the last. We heard in the gospel lesson Jesus announcing the kingdom of God, its blessings, especially for those who have been called to it in Christ. But we also know that the enemies of faith are always working to undermine that kingdom and to draw us out of it, convincing us that it's okay to mix in a little bit of sin with the righteousness that God has given to us and to which he has called us. And that is what creates a gradual decline, a spiritual compromise. There are many discussions in the Bible about this problem, and God's word urges us not to think we are immune to it, but instead to be prepared for it. And so tonight, as I mentioned in the opening announcements, I want to go back to the Old Testament example of this very thing the clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world by looking to a very interesting character by the name of, of Gideon. To help you understand who Gideon was, we need to go back to the time of the judges. 
The judges come after Moses. Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. Uh, Moses' ministry was filled with miracles, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the manna and the quail, and many, many others, leading finally to Joshua and the people of Israel settling in that land of milk and honey that God had promised. But not long after that, things begin to fall apart. And this is the time of the judges, a time when Israel forgot the word of God and began to mix the religion of Yahweh along with the religions of Baal around them. It was a time, as the writer of Judges says, when every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so we come to Gideon. God did not forget his people, but from time to time he would raise up his servants, judges, leaders, who would call Israel back to the kingdom and would lead them out of their spiritual complacency. Uh, uh, Gideon was threshing wheat on uh, a threshing floor, a wine press actually, uh, to hide the wheat from the Midianites who were constantly raiding and robbing from them. Let me read you a few verses out of chapter 6 and one verse out of chapter 7. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So we'll read about that time when Gideon was called by the Lord to lead Israel out of its time of spiritual complacency. He was threshing wheat to hide from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord called him. Gideon was very hesitant. We'll see how God deals, deals with Gideon's own hesitancy as well, and ours. But you know, it's not hard to see that in many ways the time of the judges is mirrored by our own times here in America, a time where people tend to do what is right in their own eyes, who have stopped their ears from listening to the word of God, who have gradually become a decadent, immoral country. Churches who over a hundred years have been spiritually compromised, in which sermons now sound more like emotional pep talks than the preaching of sound doctrine, and where the people have no serious study of Scripture, and Sunday school is virtually non-existent anymore. Marriages 50 years ago began to fall apart, and families along with them, and we are just now starting to realize the consequences of this spiritual compromise and this spiritual complacency. And so we need to take a look at the time of the judges and be inspired 
by the example of Gideon ourselves. So really the first point in this message is the first step that the angel of the Lord told Gideon to take. How do you respond to a situation where everything is sliding sideways and you're only one person? What's interesting, the first thing that the Lord told Gideon to do was to start in his own family, to tear down the altars of Baal. His father had an altar to Baal. So Gideon got up in the dark of night and he went and wrecked that altar. And the next morning, the people in the community saw it and they were in an uproar. How can anyone do such a uh, sacrilegious thing? And they come to Gideon's father and they expect him to turn over his son to them so they could kill him. But apparently Gideon, what he had done, resonated with his father. And I think this is often the way spiritual complacency works. We kind of get pushed into it, drawn into it. And we kind of know this isn't right, but we just go along with it because we don't want to upset things. We don't want to stick out and we don't want to be, you know, a a thorn in, 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 in somebody's flesh, so to speak. But I think Gideon's father recognized it. And so what he said was, hey, I'm not turning my son over to you. If Baal's God, then why don't we let Baal take care of Gideon? And he really threw it back in their face. And that's the way things happen. People are afraid to speak up as a majority usually. But when one person has the courage to be reviled, to be hated, even to be killed, then the others, the true believers, in whom there still is a little flicker of faith in their hearts, they realize that that's the right thing. That's the line in the sand. And they have to finally make a choice between good and evil. And so this is where Gideon begins. And it's where all things need to begin ourselves today. We need to begin in our own personal lives, our own personal sin that we struggle with. And we need to tear that down first and seek God's forgiveness and seek God's blessings. And we need to be able to be like Gideon and say, I don't care what happens to me. I'm following the Lord's will in my life. That can be a very difficult thing to do. But all it takes oftentimes is for one person brave enough to do that and others will follow. Which brings us to the second part of the sermon, and that's where the fight begins to get real. Now he's not just talking about Gideon's family or Gideon's community, but the Midianites have invaded with a huge army. They're encamped in the valley of Jezreel, and Gideon does what any uh, normal person would do in a situation like that. He begins to, to gather an army together. But uh, Gideon was also scared of this situation and hesitant. And so he does something uh, that is not recommended at all. For some reason, God in his forbearance allowed it to happen to Gideon. But Gideon puts God right to the test. He takes a fleece and he puts it on the threshing floor and he says, God, if, if you're with me, then tomorrow morning... Let the fleece be wet with dew, but the ground all around it dry. Well, the next morning, he wrings out the fleece, and it wrings out a bowl full of water. Now Gideon says one more time, Lord, I don't want you to be angry with me, but tomorrow, why don't you let the fleece be dry, but the ground all around it 
wet. And sure enough, he goes out in the morning and there it is. The fleece is dry, the ground is wet. Gideon put the Lord to the test. As I said, it's not something we're supposed to do in the Bible, but for some reason God allowed it in this case. However, there is a great lesson to be learned from this. While God doesn't call us to test him directly like that, God does tell us in many places to put his word to the test. For example, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then here it comes, that by testing, by testing, you may discern the will of God. That means basically looking at God's word and trusting in it enough to do what it says and then to look at the outcome of all of that. And this is what God's word calls all of us to do in a very general way, sometimes us, some of us in more specific ways according to our different vocations. But all of us are called to repent of our sins, to believe in God's forgiveness, to trust in his promises of the Holy Spirit to help us obey his commandments. And that is something God wants us to test. He wants us to look at that, believe it, and do it, and then ask ourselves, am I better off now? Now, you may not be richer or healthier, or somebody might uh, not love you the way you would like them to, or something like that, but I guarantee you that you could test God's word in that way, and you will prove that things will be better for you, your heart will be better, and that goodness will grow, and ultimately you will be a very happy person as God leads you in that way of his kingdom. As Jesus says over and over, this is the life of blessing, and it is good. So we trust God's word, and we put that word to the test. Well, now we come to probably the most interesting part of Gideon, and that's as Gideon's gathering his army together. Before I talk about that, though, let's go back to what I said about idols. Idols were prominent among the people of Israel. They had allowed them into their homes and into their lives. And we need to ask ourselves, what is an idol? Well, an idol is anything in this world that becomes more important to you than God's Word. So what could that be? It could be modern popular ideas. It could be science. It could be government. It could be even maybe your own family. And in every case, they are telling you, you don't have to follow the words of Moses exactly. You don't have to follow the words of Jesus it's okay, we can mix in a little bit of the world's ideas with a little bit of the teachings of God's kingdom. That's all okay. That's the way idols work. And that's the way spiritual complacency develops. And this is what God called Gideon to deal with. First personally in his own life, tearing down the altars of Baal in his own family. And then testing God's word to see that it was true. And now finally taking the fight to the streets. So Gideon starts gathering this big army, as big as he could get the, the army, but God intervenes and says, no, we're not doing it that way. 
In fact, he whittles Gideon's army down to just 300 men. And these 300 men are going to go into battle. They're not even going to go into battle with swords. They're going into battle with this, a shofar or a trumpet, a torch, and a pitcher. And they surrounded the encampment of the Midianites late at night. And at the proper signal, they broke the pitchers, they lifted up the torches, and they blew the the shofar. I just blew up the sound system, probably. All of this surprised the Midianites, shook them up, and then something very amazing happened. The Lord caused the Midianites to fall into confusion, and they began to kill each other in all of the confusion, not knowing who they were fighting, fighting themselves actually, and they destroyed the entire army. Now some people might look at that story and say, oh, Pastor Walter, are you saying we need to get our weapons, our swords, our AR-15s, and we need to get ready to take the fight to the streets and uh, to start, you know, killing people for the sake of the kingdom of God. After all, isn't that the way it worked out with Gideon? Now, this is where we need to step back and think about our place in the timeline of God's plan of salvation. There was a time for bloodshed for the sake of God's kingdom, and it was because of this, because God was preparing the world for his Messiah, and the devil was throwing everything against him to stop this from happening. But God needed there to be a Bethlehem. He needed there to be a Mary and a Joseph. He needed there to be a Jerusalem and a temple and a cross and a tomb. All of those things needed to come together. They needed to be in place. And if necessary, God shed blood to make sure that that would all happen. Christ has come. And this is God's way of bringing to this world something better than the sharpest of all swords. And that's the sword of his word. God has been sharpening that sword for a long time. And now he has put that sword into our hands. Even in Gideon's day, that was a far more important sword than the shofar or the sword or the pitchers or the torches. It was the truth of God's word that mattered the most. And that's what we need to be prepared to bring into this world. Let me give you some examples of of what I'm talking about here. Uh, In a Bible class some time ago, I I called this truth bombs. You're standing around with some people at work, and somebody says something like, you don't really have to be a, you don't have to go to worship to be a Christian. You hear it, you know, that's not right. But, you know, we're nice, we don't want to upset things, so we think, I'll just let it go, you know. And you think about who... If you let it go, who else is going to jump in if you don't jump in and do something about what was just said there, which is totally wrong? So we need to think about these things, and we need to ask God, give us the words to respond. A good way to respond to something like that would be, you know, Jesus always went to the synagogue. Paul always began in the synagogue, and my week begins in church. That's where good things begin to happen. Or you might hear someone say, boy, isn't it amazing how this entire universe was uh, created by accident? 
Again, totally asinine thing for anyone to say, but I mean, people believe this. This is the darkness that has invaded the minds of so many people. But again, you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to start an argument. And, and it wouldn't be good to turn to that person and say, well, you're an idiot. Uh, you're not going to get too far with that approach. But why not take a more positive approach and say something like this? You know, what's even more amazing than that, Jesus said, and always bring Jesus into it, because people have a hard time despising Jesus. Jesus said God created the world, and Jesus created me, and I know I'm not an accident. I don't think you're an accident either. Or someone says, there's no such thing as absolute truth. You might turn and say, what you just said, is that absolute truth? It's all confusion, of course. And you can say something like, well, you know, I heard of a man who, who said, you shall not steal is not an absolute truth until someone stole his car. And then it became a very important truth to him. Or you might hear someone say, well, you know, the Christian faith, it's, it's evil, really. I mean, look at all the bad things that happened in the Crusades and things like that. Don't let it go. Turn it around and tell anyone who says something like that, you know, Christianity has brought more good into this world than all, and I mean this, than every other single religion combined. Christianity brought us hospitals. Christianity brought us universities. Christianity brought us science. Christianity brought us freedom. We could go on and on. These are just the extras besides the kingdom of God itself. These are the ways that we can respond to a world where we can blow this trumpet of truth in the world. And this is what will halt spiritual complacency. It begins, though, as I said, in our own lives, in our own families, in our own bedrooms. A lot of young people think they want to go out and change the world, but they need to begin by making their own bed and cleaning things up there, getting their life together. Older people as well wring their hands and complain about the way things are going. Well, we need to address our own individual lives first and foremost. And we need to grow in the faith that God has given to us by testing God's word, recognizing that Jesus said the kingdom of God is where the blessings are. And the author of evil will come at that again and again. He will try to mix the sin in with it we will see the consequences developing. But instead of that, we turn to tearing down altars in our lives first, testing God's word to see how true it is, and finally blowing the trumpets of truth until God calls all of the people who are going to be part of his kingdom eternally. In Jesus' name, amen.